I'm Scott Annual, and welcome to By the Waters of Babylon, a podcast dedicated to discussion of Christianity in a post-Christian culture. What are we really doing when we gather for corporate worship each week? For some today, the main purpose for which we gather is evangelism. Every service is designed to bring in seekers and move them toward conversion. For others, the purpose of our gatherings is revival or fellowship. Others see the goal of our gatherings to express praise to the Lord. Others want an emotional experience. And for some, the gathering is simply a duty to perform. So what does the Word of God identify as the central goal of corporate worship? The end of Ephesians 2 presents a beautiful picture of who we are as the church and what we do when we gather. Verse 18 of Ephesians 2 says, For through him, that is Christ, for through Christ we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So this, of course, is the central message of the gospel. We sinners who were far off now have access to the presence of God in one spirit by grace through faith in the sacrificial atonement of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel, but don't miss the essential connection in Ephesians 2 between this gospel message and the church's worship. We sinners were far off, but now in the Spirit, Paul says, through Christ, we have access. That's a term that specifically connotes entrance into the sanctuary of God's presence. We have access to God's presence through Christ in the Spirit. So then, verse 19 says, You are no longer strangers and aliens, those prohibited from entering the sanctuary, but now you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. That phrase, household of God, describes the temple of God. And notice how Paul continues to build this imagery of the church as the New Testament temple. He continues, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together. So he's describing the church and using all of this building language. What is the church growing into? He says, we are growing into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Do you see the essential connection between the gospel and worship? Yes, the gospel forgives us from the penalty of sin. Praise the Lord for that. But that's not all the gospel does. And the emphasis here in Ephesians 2 is on the gospel granting us access to the presence of God. The goal of the gospel is, is to enable us to draw near to the presence of God in his house, in his temple, where we are then able to fellowship with him. That's the nature of what we are doing when we gather as the church for corporate worship. This is a wonderful reality, and it has several important implications for what we think about the church and what we think about our corporate worship. I want to talk about those in a moment, but first I want to recommend a book that gets at the heart of some of these same things that I'm talking about in this episode of the podcast. The book is entitled, What Happens When We Worship? by Jonathan Landry Cruz, 
published last year by Reformation Heritage Books. This is a fantastic book. I cannot recommend it highly enough. After I first read it, I actually tweeted, this is, this is a book I wish I would have written. Uh, it's a fantastic exploration of the nature of what we are doing when we worship, correcting many of the common misunderstandings of what we do when we worship, common in evangelical thought today. In our church, we've decided to give a copy of this book to every member and every new member when they come in because it perfectly describes what we are doing when we worship and the theology of worship that drives what we do in our congregation. I highly recommend this book, Reformation Heritage Books, What Happens When We Worship by Jonathan Landry Cruz. Now, this understanding of the purpose of corporate worship being communion with God in his temple, or better yet, as his temple, the church, which is made possible only through Christ by the Spirit, has very important implications for what we do when we gather for corporate worship. First, corporate worship is for believers. Only those who have access to God, those who are brought near through Christ, are members of the household of God and part of the temple. Only believers can commune with God. And so the primary purpose of corporate worship gatherings is for believers to meet with God. Now, this doesn't mean that we forbid unbelievers from being at a church service. As Paul mentions in 1 Corinthians 14, believers gathering to meet with God is profoundly evangelistic. But when unbelievers come... They come as observers, not as participants. And never do we design what takes place in corporate worship gatherings based on what unbelievers want any more than what took place in Israel's temple of the Old Testament was based on what uncircumcised pagans want. Corporate worship is for believers to meet with God. Second, corporate worship is relational. We don't simply go through a series of rituals when we gather as a duty. What we do when we gather is for the purpose of fostering our relationship with God. This is the emphasis of Ephesians 2. The whole passage that leads up to a description of God's building a temple by his spirit expresses those realities of the gospel in relational terms. The gospel that results in this temple is not simply a legal transaction. It's not just a ticket to heaven. It is a reconciliation of our relationship with God. We have access to God through Christ. We are welcome in his presence. And so when we gather, we gather to develop and cultivate and nurture that relationship. This then leads to a third point. Corporate worship is formational. Even as believers who have access to God through Christ, who are members of the household of God, our relationship with God is not perfect, is it? It's still growing. It's still deepening. We we have to continually work to nurture a right relationship with God, to allow his word to correct us, to work towards sanctifying our responses toward him. We certainly can do this and should do this through personal daily Bible study and prayer. But one significant and necessary purpose of corporate worship is to help mature our relationship with God. 
This is one of the reasons that we need to make sure that our worship is infused with scripture, that the content and structure and forms of our worship are derived from the word of God, because we know that it is the inspired word of God that is profitable for teaching, for reproving, for correcting, and for training in righteousness. So everything about what we do when we gather for worship must be infused by God's inspired and transforming word. But also more specifically, it is the gospel itself that continues to sanctify us. Paul says in Titus 2.12, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. So he's talking about the gospel that brings salvation here. But then notice what else he says the gospel does. This same gospel grace that brings salvation also trains us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. In other words, the gospel that saved us is also the gospel that sanctifies us. The gospel that reconciled us to God, that brought us near to him, is the gospel that will continue to grow our relationship with him. We don't just believe the gospel for salvation and then leave it behind. Even as believers, we must continually renew ourselves in the gospel so that it continues to train us and cultivate our relationship with God. And this is the fourth point then. Corporate worship renews us in the gospel. Historically, Christians have often referred to corporate worship as covenant renewal. It is a way that as believers, we can weekly renew our covenant relationship with God. Really, the image of a marriage perfectly depicts this. And of course, the New Testament also uses marriage as a fitting metaphor for the relationship between Christ and the church. A man and a woman commit to one another in a wedding. This is akin to our salvation when God makes a commitment to save us out of his great love and we make a commitment to love and serve him. Baptism is like our wedding vows when we formalize the covenant relationship. And so now the man and woman are married. That doesn't change until death do them part. But the relationship between a husband and a wife rises and falls over time. Many things can harm the relationship and many things can rekindle the relationship. Your personal devotional life is like a husband and wife having conversations with each other. That's really important to nurture the relationship. But another thing that some married couples do to rekindle their relationship is to renew their wedding vows. Sometimes they even dress up like they did when they first wed and they repeat those same vows again to each other. They're already married. Those vows don't get them married again. But by repeating their vows again, they renew their love for each other and rekindle their relationship. Corporate worship is like renewing your gospel vows to Christ. Just like when we were first converted, God calls us to draw near to him. Just like at our conversion, we respond with confession of sin and acknowledgement that we have broken God's laws. Just like when we were first saved, we hear words of pardon from God because of the sacrifice of Christ. Just like when we began our relationship with God, we eagerly listen to his instructions and commit to obey. We're not getting re-saved each week, 
but we are renewing our covenant vows to the Lord. And in so doing, we are rekindling our relationship with him and our commitment to him and he with us. This is why in most churches historically, the order of worship that derives from the scripture, that is modeled for us in the word of God, is an order of corporate worship that rehearses the gospel. It allows us week in and week out to renew our vows to Christ and rekindle our communion with him. The order is often described this way. Revelation, God revealing himself to us. Adoration, we adore the greatness and glory of God. This leads us to confession of sin, acknowledgement that we are unworthy to be in the presence of God. Propitiation, forgiveness and atonement through the sacrifice of Christ. Proclamation, we hear the word of God expounded. And dedication, we respond with commitment to the word of God. That's the order of the gospel. And in corporate worship, that order then is a weekly covenant renewal that will help us to grow in our fellowship with God through the gospel. This recognition is very important for us as we approach what we are doing in corporate worship each week. We need to recognize that what we are doing is not just expressing what is already in our hearts. It is reforming our hearts, renewing our relationship with God each week. So, for example, you might not feel like expressing a certain sentiment in a particular hymn that you're singing in a church service one week, but that's not the point. That hymn was chosen to help you renew certain aspects of your relationship with God. Or you might get to the corporate prayer of confession one week in a church service, and you might think, well, that prayer doesn't really reflect what's in my heart and mind right now. But that's not the point. That prayer was chosen to help remind you of what you are because of the gospel and to help you renew your thankfulness toward God and your commitment to him. Sometimes we say, I love you to a spouse because we really feel it deeply. But sometimes we say it to help rekindle the relationship. The same is true for worship. The German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, it is not your love that sustains the marriage, but the marriage that sustains your love. The feelings rise and fall, come and go, but the covenant a man and a woman make to one another sustains them despite their fickle feelings. And in the same way, it is not deep feelings for God that sustain our worship. It is what we do when we gather for worship that sustains our love for God. And so it's really important as we come to corporate worship each week that we approach what we are doing in this way. Everything about the service is chosen to form and nurture our relationship with God. We expect that of the sermon. We know that sometimes the sermon will encourage or comfort us. Sometimes the sermon will challenge or correct us. But we need to view every part of the service that way. When I plan services in our church, I don't plan and choose music based on preferences or what anyone grew up with. I plan the service and choose the scripture readings and the songs specifically based on what will best help to nurture our relationship with God that week, tying everything in with the gospel structure and with the sermon text for the week. And so sometimes the service and the songs will be comforting and encouraging, Sometimes they'll be convicting and correcting, all toward the goal of drawing us closer in relationship with God. 
And then finally, this leads us to explicitly identify the goal of corporate worship. All of this leads us to conclude and affirm that the goal of our corporate worship is communion with God. Through the gospel, we are God's temple, his house, where we are enabled to meet with him for fellowship. Our primary goal is not evangelism, though a gospel-shaped service will be evangelistic. Our primary goal is not expression, though we will certainly express toward God in worship. Our primary goal is not emotional experience, though we will certainly feel things. Our primary goal is to nurture and cultivate a life of communion with God. This is why the climax of this covenant renewal is communion around the Lord's table. Throughout scripture and indeed history, the ultimate expression of free and open access is being invited to sit at the table. This is illustrated throughout the Old Testament. It is pictured with the table of showbread in the temple, and it is one of the beautiful images depicted by the Lord's Supper. A Christian worship service pictures that believers are brought near through Christ and now sitting around his table both commemorates the sacrifice that made that possible and expresses our unity with him and with other Christians as the body of Christ. It doesn't accomplish peace with God. Rather, the table is a beautiful expression of peace already achieved through the sacrifice of Christ and a renewal of our fellowship with him. This is why the table is the ultimate climax of any gospel-shaped worship service. In the table, Christians are enabled to sit in full communion with their sovereign Lord because of Christ. The Lord's table is the most beautiful earthly enactment of the complete fellowship made possible by union with Christ. And so we come to corporate worship not to perform rituals out of duty, not primarily to evangelize unbelievers, not even primarily to express what is already in our hearts. We come to corporate worship to meet with God and renew our communion with him. Thank you for listening to By the Waters of Babylon. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts or other podcasting services. And if you enjoy the podcast, please give us a five-star rating. You can find me on Twitter at twitter.com slash scottannual. I blog at religiousaffections.org. And for articles, audio, and speaking itinerary, visit scottannual.com. Join me next time as we discuss issues related to Christianity in a post-Christian culture.